Welcome to Music and Medicine. My name is Jacques Osmo, and music is my life. In this show, we will discuss the newest research on the intersection of music and medicine from scientific, musical, and historical perspectives. And most importantly, I hope that what you hear in this program will help you identify how to use music to make your own life healthier and happier. Today we have a great pleasure of having with us Dr. Joanne Lowy. Dr. Lowy is the founding director of the Louis Armstrong Center for Music and Medicine at Mount Sinai Health System in New York City. Dr. Lowy is the editor-in-chief of the international peer-reviewed journal Music and Medicine and has conducted research in sedation, assessment, pain, asthma, and NICU music therapy. Dr. Lowy, welcome. I presume you are in New York at the moment. Yes. So how is everything there? I've heard about the plans to fully reopen on the 1st of July. Uh, much is slowly reopening. Broadway, for instance. Oh, that's wonderful. Will not open till September. So it's All right. sort of layered opening. Layered opening. Well, it's, it's much better than what we all had for the past year or so. <laughs> Sure. Um, and the hospitals, of course, never closed. Which is fortunate, but it's unfortunate that there was such a great need. So you are the founding director of the Louis Armstrong Center for Music and Medicine at Mount Sinai Health System. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about the center and its activities? Sure. We are actually 27 years young. And we started on pediatrics at mm -hmm. the former Beth Israel Medical Center. And we expanded from pediatrics to family medicine, to ICUs, to palliative care, to cancer care, to the community New York City public schools, and then to different hospitals. And now we are merged for the past four years with the Mount Sinai Health System. So it just keeps growing through our research and through our clinical activities, which are supported by doctors, nurses, and we have our own board. So it's been a glorious growth. Oh, that is absolutely remarkable. Can you tell us a bit about your own approach to music and medicine? What led you to this field? Well, first I'll say that as much has changed in healthcare and hospital care and community care mm -hmm. as there has been in music therapy and music and medicine. So it's been a relationship of watching and observing the trends in healthcare as it is adapting, learning, and growing the music and music therapy applications. I started in music therapy I think when I was a toddler, hmm. my oldest brother was severely autistic. This is before we had terms like spectrum 
and before her autism was thought to be a developmental delay. Today, of course, that's changed completely. Back then, autism was reserved for infantile autism or idiot savant. And so I was crawling around the house mm-hmm. <laughs> and had contact with a brother who made sounds, mostly just made sounds. And I was enthralled. Then I went in to study music therapy first with children who were autistic or had behavioral problems. That was part of college, and my master's then was music therapy. And then during my doctorate in music therapy, I became ill myself, medically ill. And I was actually brought to Beth Israel Medical Center as a patient for three months in a bed with blood clots. And I started to notice how Tony and garlic and vibration could actually change how much blood thinner I would need. And I became enthralled with the power of music and music therapy on the body and how much my mind and my spirit and breath could change blood and breath. At the same time, I was volunteering in my hospital gown attached to pumps on pediatrics Mm -hmm. and saw how music could change how the kids would respond. So I left Beth Israel and never went back to working in the clinic with emotionally disturbed kids. I wrote a grant. I was connected to Louis Armstrong's doctor and was blessed by the Louis Armstrong Educational Foundation with a five-year grant that still today gets renewed. So that's sort of the short story. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, What a wonderful world The colors of the rainbow So pretty in the sky Are also on the faces Of people going by I see friends shaking hands Saying how do you do I'm 
much more than I ever knew And I think to myself What a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful We've just heard Louis Armstrong and What a Wonderful World. That is a remarkable story. I'm sure that our listeners would be very interested to find out a bit more about the methods and techniques within music therapy and music medicine that are used to support learning and development of neurodiverse individuals. So can you tell us a bit about that? Well... I think what's been important in the work of music therapy and music and medicine, because we do both, is for us to realize that the population of mental health, the broad population called mental health, mm -hmm. that encompasses everything from autism to Down syndrome to what we could think of as special needs really uh, can also encompass a large chunk of medical health. I think for a long time and still people stratify cancer or Alzheimer's as a disease of the body or a disease of memory in the brain. And I think when we stratify mental health from physical health, we lose a very important bridge. And I think that music and music therapy bind that bridge. We've seen this through our research. All of our research is quantitative and qualitative. We do the quantitative to collect the numbers mm -hmm. and to speak the language of medical textbooks and journals. That's important. But we also try through video and through qualitative aspects of writing and showing the work is to infuse how important things like resilience, belief, spirituality, culture, how deeply those are in the brain filtered as mechanisms of survival. And when we hook those mechanisms into physical health, we see dramatic improvements, such as people who have stroke, right, who aren't speaking, start to sing because we know now that the neural pathways preserve not just melody, but lyrics. Lyrics are language. And then we take out the lyrics and we can infuse the desires of the moment. That is so important. And that's some of the research, for example, 
that we're doing with our stroke choir. And we're including caregivers. That's just one example. And it is a great example. The belief in the power of music to heal has been part of so many cultures over the last thousands of years. And the fact that now there, there's a scientific proof, it, it is hugely exciting. And it is clear that we are only scratching the surface. It seems, at least, that over the past year, as the entire world has been going through the pandemic, the clinical use of music and music therapy in supporting mental health in particular has been greatly highlighted internationally. And I've noticed that the National Institute of Health, for example, last August announced a new grant scheme promoting research on music and health. Do you think this is a, a sign of things to come? and trends to come, and a further entry of music therapy into the mainstream healthcare and medicine, not only in this country, but internationally? It seems to have taken off. Mm -hmm. I was fortunate to speak at the NIH a couple of years ago and went to a lot of the workshops that had neuroscientists, musicians, and music therapists all convening and listening to each other. And I think that some of the secrets about both the mechanisms and mechanics of music are starting to infiltrate with some of the most important features of personhood. So the mechanics would be how the brain works, how the body breathes in conjunction with heart rate, heart rate variability, you know, inside the car, where the wires go to get the car to move. But after all that wiring is done, one of the most critical aspects of personhood is going to be that the car will not move mm -hmm. unless the driver wants to drive to somewhere. That is a critical feature of personhood. So we know now that the Mozart effect, for instance, is debunk. Okay. There's a Beethoven effect there's a Tchaikovsky effect. We know from our research in music therapy that patient-preferred music, but not just the music, how it is provided and trained with someone's vitality. I call this the Song of Kin. Mm -hmm. It is that secret recipe of the red sauce mm -hmm. in Italian culture or the paella in Spain or the matzo ball in, for Jews. We have these things in music. And so the therapy part of music is a trained music therapist, like a psychologist for talk therapy or a social worker for placement in a group home or 
any home or removal from a home, the music therapist mm -hmm. is trained many hours to work with the Song of Kin to prescribe the music that's going to be most indicated for the moment. And that includes verbal processing, that includes entrainment mechanisms for good training, that includes intervals, rhythm. There's so many mm -hmm. things that go into music therapy. So I think that NIH and Francis Collins and my colleague from music school, the great Renee Fleming, I think this coming together is growing the relationship of music therapy, music medicine, and neurology in new and exciting mm -hmm. ways. Don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Do a 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 do a. It don't mean a thing. All you gotta do is sing. Do a 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 do a. Makes no difference if it's sweet or hot. Give that rhythm everything you've got. Oh, don't mean a thing if you ain't got that swing. Do a 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 do a. It don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Ella Fitzgerald and Duke Ellington. It don't mean a thing. Today we are speaking with Dr. Joanne Lowy, the founding director of the Louis Armstrong Center for Music and Medicine at Mount Sinai Health System in New York City. As we are slowly emerging from this pandemic, I assume all of us have PTSD to one degree or another. So 
Are there any particular music therapy initiatives that target that return to normalcy or helping people get back to some degree of normalcy? Because that will be a significant transition as well after living this way for a year and a half now. Well, the interesting thing that I observed that happened during COVID when people were isolated is that I think the isolation being an extreme shutdown for so many people exacerbated the need for expression. So you asked about New York City. In Union Square, we had planks, gorgeous planks of art up all over Union Square. Um, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. all the names of the people who have been killed, especially during the past political regime. Even before that, I think the expression of angst afforded opportunities for us to see true expression of anger. And we just did a conference hosting John Batiste, whose whole social music campaign mm-hmm. is about love rioting and bringing music off the stage to the streets. And rather than fighting one another or fighting about masks, using music in the personhood way to bring people together, to realize their potential, to breathe together, to sing together, community music therapy. There's going to be a surge in that. You feel it on the streets in New York. Mm -hmm. The cafes are bulging with people. The days of singing with all the different squares online, they're done. They're passe. People are coming out in numbers like never before because New York City is so electric and there's such a need for creative growth and movement. So this is something I've seen when there was seclusion Mm -hmm. and quarantine. People were just boiling with some of the rage from past years and felt safe to express it in art. There was more murals and art in New York City than have ever been seen during COVID, which is interesting if you think about it, because we were all isolated. How does that work? (laughs) That's right. I mean, that is, I can't wait for a chance to visit next, quite honestly, to see some of these things. I mean, we are fortunate to have chosen music to be part of our life professionally. I mean, music has been used again for such a long time in, in times of crisis for exactly these reasons, to, to support community cohesion, to give hope, to just support. And it is nice to see that it's always possible to rely on it, that it's going to be there. Although I have to, I have to say, yes, we can criticize these little squares on the computer, um, <laughs> But my goodness, if they did not exist, you know, over this past year, that would be isolation. 
Once upon a time, many, many years ago, I was a refugee. I'm originally from former Yugoslavia, from Bosnia and Herzegovina, at a time when internet was not really around and there was no way of communicating this way and keeping contact this way. And I, I was thinking about that a lot, actually, over the course of, of the last year of how much, you know, we can, we can complain about the computers, but the fact that we can see each other's faces, even, even in these little squares, the fact that we, can, that we can create music, even if it is to like a click track all together. I mean, that is, that is, truly, that is truly amazing. But yeah, but going back to normal and seeing people in, in, in flesh will be a very welcome change for everybody. And, and it is already. May I please ask you if there are any specific, you mentioned some of them, but any specific clinical studies that you may want to emphasize at the moment that you're involved in? Yeah, I'd first like to respond to okay. technology. <laughs> we just had our 20th annual arts festival mm -hmm. with any patient that wants to perform. It's the second time we've done it virtually. And I was so glad to have that. Mm -hmm. um, we do a gala every year. And last year we honored Wayne Shorter and Nora Jones saying, and I was so appreciative of technology. And I can hear your story. Uh, I'm touched that you lived in, in isolation, mm -hmm. can't imagine. And same time, I was listening to the news tonight and hearing how the US and China are devoting so much money, you know, competing about how much money they will devote to research. And then the newscaster said, and the bulk of that research, some extraordinarily high billions yeah. of dollars, will go to creating virtual machines. And so I have to say that it's a double-edged sword when I think about technology, I think, thank God we had technology. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you could survive without it. But I also have a little fear about colleagues that still are in their summer homes. They've sold their apartments and their office buildings will be shut down or sold. And they will... Many people may lose contact um, with staying involved with groups. And if science supports this growth of technology, I'm a little worried. But maybe that just sounds old-fashioned. <laughs> I don't think it sounds old-fashioned. I, I mean, it's a very legitimate, it's a very legitimate concern. Not long ago, I, I attended a little gathering. I got to see some friends I hadn't seen for a long time. We are all vaccinated now, so we decided to meet up. And it did feel like coming out of a, a cave <laughs> after a really, really long time. It felt like, you know, one of those dystopian movies where you come out after this big event during which you had to just stay sheltered and you finally see people. 
And if people actually get used to this lack of contact, social contact, and some people, you know, some people may feel comfortable with it. I mean, it will change the way we we are, the way we function. There were pandemics before, there were there were wars before during which people were isolated, but technology has never been on this level where we can continue to function without actually being in person next to anybody ever before. So this is a new <laughs> frontier. So yes, I don't know. I hope that it will be possible to keep some kind of a balance. Yeah. Absolutely. But going back in terms of clinical studies and clinical research, are there any other ones you would like to mention? Right. It's hard for me to um, zone in on any one research because I co-edit an international peer-reviewed journal with Dr. Rauschbeek. And if I highlight one article... Of course, I understand, yeah. I could talk about exciting trends that I'm seeing. Yes, of course. That would feel more diplomatic. (laughs) Diplomacy is important. Yes. To be honest, this is the first year I teach at a few universities, and I just got papers this year from my class at Drexel University, where I teach music and medicine. And it's the first time I have papers that are unusual and thrilling. Mm -hmm. So these are graduate students who have been studying. You know, they're on the cusp of being the next generation of music therapists. And I'm getting such a learning about new topics like feminism. Now, Mm -hmm. feminism was fashionable in the 60s, but the flavor of some of the topics, equal justice, diversity, trauma, these are trends that we're seeing not just at Drexel, not just in music therapy. Uh, This is the first year I've seen trends in trans patients and the acceptance and the desire to deeply understand and accept trans and how we speak of, even in writing, Mm -hmm. we used to have to say she and match it with singular. Now you can say he and they and... It seems like little changes, you know, minuscule, but I can tell you that it is changing how clinics are operating, Mm -hmm. how doctors and nurses are treating, and it's the musics of music therapy, how accompaniment may change what used to be a full accompaniment with full piano harmony Mm-hmm. It's becoming more baseline loops. That's a combination of honoring the patient and technology. Patients are now coming to rounds. Used to be doctors and nurses and therapists would discuss cases not in front of patients. Now the patients start the rounds 
I think we're going to see more articles written from the voice of the patient and start there before you describe the music they liked and how you, as a music therapist, provided it. No, you'll hear the music first in the mm -hmm. track, because most of the journals are going online. And there'll be many different ways to interpret. And this is exciting, because then we'll have to take this back to the models in place, the models of behaviorism, humanism. They'll be called different things, because they'll be patient-centered and mm -hmm. analyzed in terms of the patient's culture, the patient, patient's gender, how the patient identifies themselves. This is part of art. You and I know this from music mm -hmm. and art. But in healthcare, it's just starting to be a philosophy. So to me, this is juicy and thrilling and exciting. Adio, adio, querida, no quiero la vida, me la amargate es tu. Okay. 
just heard Adio Querida, a traditional Sephardic song performed by Yasmin Levy. Today we are speaking with Dr. Joanne Lowy, the founding director of the Louis Armstrong Center for Music and Medicine at Mount Sinai Health System in New York City. It is wonderful and these are also interdisciplinary trends that are happening in many in many different disciplines at the moment. It's a much needed direction in, in healthcare in particular, also in terms of equity and related issues. Well, this is wonderful. And finally, may I ask you if there are any pieces of music that you feel particularly partial towards that we can play for our listeners? <laughs> That's tricky. There was this song that I love jazz and I love hip hop. Um, there was this song that came out that I saw on Facebook during the pandemic that really hit me. And I don't know if you could find it. It did get viral. It went viral. Okay. And it was called the Keep Going On song. Every now and then, a tune comes on that encapsulates a moment. And yeah. this song took me and some patience I saw through the pandemic. And here it is, the Keep Going song by the Bengsons. This is the keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going on, keep going on song. This is a keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going on, keep going on song. This is a keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going on, keep going on song. I am Abigail, and this is Sean, and we're so glad that you've turned this on and welcomed us into your home, and you are welcome into our home. We're in. Dayton, Ohio. We're in Sean's parents' house. <laughs> My parents' house. <laughs> Sean's parents' house. We were in Louisville when the shit hit, and we packed our three-year-old into a car. We drove kind of far. We drove here, and we've been so lucky and blessed to be safely here. And we thought we'd be here for like ten days, tops. What did we know? What did we know? What did, what did we, we know? Want? We thought we knew a lot. We thought we knew a lot. Healthy. We've been okay. Are you okay? 
Are you all right? Are you okay? Are you all right? Are you okay? I hope your body is whole tonight. And if your heart is breaking, I hope it's breaking open. And if your breath is shaking, I hope it's shaking through. And then I hope that you've watched a lot of really great television, like a lot of it. And I hope that you find a hand lotion that actually makes your skin feel better. And I hope that you have enough to eat. I hope you're getting enough sleep and I hope you have enough good company or enough good memory to last you a long I pray my rage is a fire that cleans my mind out and makes me ready to listen. I pray my pain is a river that flows to the ocean that connects my pain to yours. And I pray, I pray my happiness is like pollen that flies to you and pollinates your joy. Oh boy, oh boy, is that possible? again that the world has changed into the world that we are imagining now together and I pray that the world has become the world that we're planting inside of ourselves for each other and for our ancestors start by singing some songs in this tiny space together we're just gonna sing some songs for you and we hope that when you hear them you will feel a little bit less alone and we will feel a little bit less alone in the work and in the hurt and we will be together tonight somehow whenever this is wherever this is we will be together tonight for the Keep going, 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 keep going
this made a little hair at the back of my neck stand up. <laughs> it's definitely something that one can listen to over and over again and very much relate to. Yeah. Dr. Lowy, thank you so very much for being with us today. This has been such a great pleasure. And technology is great. It's great to see you. But I also very much hope to meet you in person beyond the screen. Thanks for hosting me. And so we come to the end of today's program. Today, our guest was Dr. Joanne Lowy. Dr. Lowy is the founding director of the Louis Armstrong Center for Music and Medicine at Mount Sinai Health System in New York City and the editor-in-chief of the international peer-reviewed journal Music and Medicine. Until next time, stay healthy and happy and keep listening.